This is the Best Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to Best Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us today attorney Tim Agajanian. Tim is a partner at national law firm Roper's Majeski. He represents corporations and insurers nationwide in commercial litigation, catastrophic injury, real estate, and tort matters. Tim is also a frequent author and speaker and addresses updates to regulations and case law. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, John, very much for having me. I appreciate it. Today's podcast discussion is Kuma's Council and how it impacts insurance claims. And Tim, for our first question, what are the circumstances that trigger an insurer's obligation to provide independent counsel, often called Kuma's counsel? Very good question. So under 2860 subpart B, as I'll read, for purposes of this section, a conflict of interest does not exist as to allegations or facts in the litigation for which the insurer denies coverage. However, when an insurer reserves its rights on a given issue and the outcome of that coverage issue can be controlled by counsel first retained by the insurer for defense of the claim, a conflict of interest may exist. No conflict of interest shall be deemed to exist as to allegations of punitive damages or be deemed to exist solely because an insured is sued for an amount in excess of the insurance policy. So the Kumis Council name came from a, a case that was uh, decided in 1984 in California entitled San Diego Navy Federal Credit Union versus Kumis Insurance Society, Inc., and that decision, which came down um, in the Court of Appeals in the Fourth District in 1984, created uh, scenarios wherein uh, insurers who were defended by uh, counsel by uh, insurance companies could uh, choose their uh, their own counsel and be paid for by the insurance companies. Since that time, uh, because of some abuses and interesting background issues, the uh, California Legislature really. Um, um, uh, enacted a statute now called the Kuma statute. It's 2860 California Civil Code Section 2860. And here are the circumstances that that um, require insurance companies to uh, provide its insurance with independent counsel when they're in a suit and, and providing defense. One where there's um, under 2860 subsection one where the insurer reserves its right on an issue and the outcome of that coverage issue can be controlled by the insured's retained counsel. That's 98% of the time when that statute triggers independent counsel, and that uh, is the enabling legislation that came from the Kumas case. Very quickly, there are several other uh, um, subparts that would institute or require independent counsel to be appointed. The second one is where the insurer, when the insurer insures both the plaintiff and the defendant, pretty obvious conflict of interest. Subpart three of 2860 is where the insurer has filed suit against the insured. Whether or not the suit is related to the lawsuit, the insurer is obligated to defend. Clearly a a violation of California ethics code, which we'll talk about a little bit later in this presentation of the genesis of the uh, Kumis rule and the independent counsel rule. The fourth uh, scenario under the code section is where the insurer pursues settlement in excess of the policy limits without the insured's consent and leaving the insured exposed to claims by third parties. And I'm assuming that our audience is somewhat sophisticated as insurance folks, and this is a pretty obvious uh, example of of when those interests would conflict and and probably doesn't occur very often, but can occur. 
Uh, subsection five of uh, California Code Section 2060 is any other situation where an attorney who represents the interests of both the insurer and the insured finds that his or her representation of one is rendered less effective by reason of his or her representation of the other. That seminal case, which you can write down, is James Three Corporation versus Truck Insurance Exchange. That's a 2001 uh, Cal App decision, 91 Cal App, 4th at 1093. So I've given you some basic situations that um, would trigger the Kumis statute. There are other states that have similar type of um, uh, statutes or, or a common law that would trigger the uh, right to independent counsel. Uh, the most common trigger of the obligation to provide independent counsel is in, uh, is in California, is it insurers providing a defense subject to a reservation of rights. And in, in the Kumis case, um, the counsel was derived from holding in that in that in a holding in that case, which I cited earlier. Uh, the and the Kumis decision inadvertently created a broad and nearly unbridled opportunity for insured's personal counsel to demand and seek payment to serve as defense counsel for the insured insurer's expense. Uh, and this apparent abuse um, created uh, the need for the independent counsel statute. And there are some examples of when, uh, common examples of when the independent counsel is now triggered under the new code section. One is when there's an intentional act uh, versus a, a, a negligent allegation and, and the insurance company reserves its rights in regards to not obviously um, going to cover any acts that were intentional. Simple example, a house burns down. Uh, there's a question as to whether uh, the uh, homeowner's child started the fire with playing with massage, ma matches or it was uh, a natural cause or a negligent cause. Therefore, the defense counsel may be leaning towards uh, showing that it was an intentional cause of the fire. Very, very simple example. And as we get further into this uh, Q&A today, uh, we can give you some more examples and there's some exceptions and whatnot. It gets kind of complicated which we delve into more in a full hour and a half program we've put on for this uh, subject. So Tim, the duty to provide Kumis counsel is triggered by a conflict of interest. Can you provide some examples of scenarios that would create this type of conflict? There are several examples of when it wouldn't create a conflict of interest. And as, um, and, and when any, any time that there is a general factual allegation in the complaint and, and in the reservation of rights that, deviates um, or puts the insured at odds with the insurance company regarding uh, behavior, conduct, intentional type acts, then that would generally, and, and that the defense counsel can, can steer the case or control how the case is, is, is defended in, in putting the case more in an uncovered situation, meaning they would have more of a tendency to defend uh, the, the case wherein the insured they would prove or there'd be jury instructions to prove that the insured uh, enacted intentionally to create the damage, that would trigger Kumis counsel. For instance, there's an environmental case that we handled wherein it was a dry cleaners. And there was allegations that the dry cleaner, the insured on the environmental case, intentionally dumped cleaning fluid into the ground and, and did not dispose of it properly as opposed to a negligent a creation of a plume over a number of years by just leakage or just negligence. In that case, a reservation of rights triggered an independent counsel. And, and there's there's uh, many other examples. But as a um, 
Um, as an example that doesn't trigger Kumis, uh, there are there are many examples where when the insurance company simply uh, denies coverage for certain uncovered claims, it's purely a coverage issue, then uh, that would not trigger uh, the right to independent counsel. Um, as a matter of uh, of law in a case where the damages may not be covered under the definition of the policy and the rights are reserved, then that does not trigger Kumis under Section 2860 as one of the examples. There is an exception under construction defect cases under the Blanchard case, which I can cite for you, wherein if it's work product that's being challenged and you're reserving your rights, the workmanship was not good, but it did not result in damages, that's an exception where it does not trigger Kuma's counsel. So most of your construction defect cases, even those there's a reservation of rights made on the workmanship, oh, you just did not build the house or the detail correctly. And uh, if it, there's no resulting damage, then th there's, no, um, there's no covered damages. That's a good example under the Blanchard case. I give you the site, 2 Cal App 4th, 345, which is kind of a carve out of a typical situation where there's an allegation of intentional acts or acts of the insured that that will not trigger Kumis. Tim, can you tell us, are there any other distinguishing conflicts that will trigger Kumis counsel and others that may not? So there's no simple test to determine when the right to independent counsel arises. Further, not every conflict of interest activates an obligation to provide the insured defend, defendant with independent counsel at the insurer's expenses. Uh, yeah, for example, in the James 3 case, uh, the insurer owes no duty to provide independent counsel in these situations because the Kumis rule is not based on insurance law, but on ethical duty of an attorney to avoid representing conflicting interests. So simply in, in that case, if you're reserving rights on a claim that's not covered by insurance, that it's an insurance coverage issue, that does not automatically trigger Kumis. And in fact, under that uh, under that James 3 case, it stands for the premise that simply because there's a reservation of rights on a claim that's not covered, that does not trigger Kumis. Tim, how are Kumis attorneys selected and what are their duties? Um, under subpart C, here are the requirements under 2860 of selection of counsel. One, at least five years of civil litigation uh, practice, which includes a substantial defense experience in the subject at the issue in the litigation, two errors and omissions coverage, and the insurer's obligation to pay the fees to the independent counsel selected by the insured is limited to the rates which are actually paid by the insurer to attorneys retained by it in the ordinary course of business in the defense of similar actions in the community where the came, where the claim arose or is being defended. This is the codification of the rule. Practical experience is it to answer your question is that obviously the insured has a right to select counsel. Under the uh, subsequent case law, the insured has a right to control the litigation. The insured has a right to select the expert witnesses. And some of these qualifications on fees, the amounts of fees paid, there is um, um, ample um, um, exemplars of um, cases where under this code section, if there's a dispute in the hourly rate, and this becomes a real issue in a lot of these cases, because independent counsel normally are charging much higher rates than what we call agreed upon panel counsel rates. And this is where the dispute comes in. 
So the selection of counsels by the insured to answer your question, we can get into some of the other issues at the other questions regarding the, the amount of fees and, and how uh, those can be um, arbitrated. Tim, how are attorneys' hourly fees established under the rules that you just mentioned? And if there is a dispute over Kuma's counsel rates, uh, how is it typically resolved? Right. So um, under 2860C, uh, under the last uh, provision of that, of that code section says any dispute will be by binding arbitration, and the arbitrator will have sole discretion to determine what the hourly fees would be. And even though 2860 articulates um, a um, general requirement that you have to have five years experience and be experienced in this you know, field of practice, uh, there's a lot of other factors here. And um, the rates that these panel counsel firms, well, let me give you an example. A case that we looked at, a case study we looked at is the Fabric Washroom Equipment case wherein it versus Travelers Insurance Company. And that was a very good example, which you can pull this up on Westlaw. And I think it's cited at uh, 2017 WL um, 1012-7812 Cal Super Arbitration Award. I think that's the reference. And in that case, there's a couple of very important lessons here to answer your questions. Um, even though the insurance companies will try to say that, gee, we have panel counsel, they handle these typical type of cases, and we charge $250 an hour, for example. That's really not going to be the dictating factor in a case that goes to arbitration. It's binding arbitration. Evidence can be presented. There are hearings, but ultimately the arbitrator will make the ruling. Let me give you an example of some of the, of some of the language that was articulated in this particular decision, which is informative. To this audience, the rates of these panel counsel firms, this is quoted from the from the arbitrator, were not determined by reference to the legal claims, factual circumstances, location, potential exposure, or complexity of these cases. Thus, these cases cannot reflect rates paid to attorneys travelers has retained in the ordinary course of business in the defense of similar actions in the community where the claims arose or is being defended. So what that what that is informative of is that the, the arbitrator will take in consideration the the complexity of the of the cases, uh, the location, the potential exposure, whether or not the law firm has represented the, the client before in similar matters, the expertise of the attorney, uh, and not just a simple subject matter or the fact that the insurance company has paid other law firms, uh, you know, much much lower fees. So that is informative. With more time, I can give you more examples um, in, in regards to you know the factors involved. I, I can say this too in the arbitration, which is an important pointer to carriers. Um, if you get involved in a situation where you determine that Kumis counsel or independent counsel is required, this is very important. Uh, you you should agree to disagree on the hourly rate and indicate that you will work that out and continue to pay the fees at the rates that the carrier thinks is fair or is is standard in the community of this type of case and agree to to either arbitrate or negotiate the differential at some date in the future 
if you don't do that as a carrier, you may waive all your rights under 2860 to, to binding arbitration and be precluded from challenging the actual hourly rate the law firm wants to charge you. So you don't want to just uh, not not agree to pay something. That's just an interesting pointer, uh, practice pointer for from the carrier's perspective. Tim, this was a very informative podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for providing the case law so our listeners could go back and, and review further if, if they need to. Thank you very much. appreciate the opportunity, and I hope it was informative and helpful. That was Tim Agajanian from the national law firm Ropers Majeski, and special thanks to today's producer, Frank Bowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for Best Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claims resource. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professional Resources features valuable insurance industry content, including searchable profiles of client-recommended insurance attorneys, adjusters, and expert service providers. Brought to you by AM Best, known worldwide as a respected source of insurance industry news and information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.